0: I mm-hmm. do mm-hmm.
1: This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery, located in sunny Southern California, in Silver Lake, and Malibu. Aloe was created by our good friend Bob Forrest and his friends Evan, Jared, and Bob to create a treatment center that basically took care of addicts using compassion and connection rather than control. They have decades of experience in treating addiction and co-occurring mental health disorders, Even SMI, they have amenities you wouldn't believe. They have the incredible sound bath meditation. They have surfing. They have equine therapy and the uber spiritual sweat lodge. They make sure your detox is comfortable if you're kicking heroin or benzos or alcohol. Whatever you're kicking, you want to have a comfortable detox. So if you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California to get help, I strongly suggest going to aloe. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at CASL, which of course stands for Clean and Sober Love, which is the dating app for clean and sober people seeking clean and sober people. It was created by one addict helping another addict to date safely. So here's the deal. You got cleaned, you got sober, you got a new life, and now you're ready to date. So where are you supposed to look? Slaw? CASL is the solution Dating and recovery is real And worth considering if you have your shit together They have the junkie And crackhead of your dreams They have a new platform Where you can video chat From the comfort of your home Check it out CASL, it's totally fucking free On the App Store and the Google Play Store CASL needs you They need a bigger pool of beautiful addicts So go check it out At CASL now this episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our great friends at Grady's Cold Brew Coffee, which is, of course, Grady'sColdBrew.com. Before I say how delicious and powerful and amazingly affordable Grady's Cold Brew is, I want you to know that as a Dopey fan, if you order right now at Grady'sColdBrew.com and you use the Dopey code, Dopey25, you save 25% on cold brew coffee. Now, Grady's is an independently owned and operated cold brew company that is from the Bronx in New York City, up at Hunts Point. Grady is an actual person, and I am an actual person who got to try Grady's incredible cold brew coffee, and I loved it. It is flavored with chicory. It is naturally sweet. I liked it black, but if you like milk, you can add goat milk or oat milk or elk milk or whole milk or skim milk or whatever you want. When you order the cold brew kit, it brews and pours 36 cups of, of cold brew coffee, three batches of 12 cups each. Once brewed, the coffee stays fresh in the refrigerator for up to two weeks. This is super high-quality cold brew coffee. Go to Gradyscoldbrew.com, use the dopey code 25, and save 25% today exciting new ad everybody i want to talk about a new podcast that has emerged from the deepest darkest recesses of the dopey nation facebook group it is called recovery in the middle ages it's a podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life love and recovery nat is a 40-something married father of two who has recovered from alcohol heroin crack coke and just about every other drug he got his hands on Mike is a married 50-something father of three that got into the crack scene in the Bronx in the 80s, let the booze get away from him, and now he works on his recovery daily in between being a lawyer and leading his son's Cub Scout den. Brought together by their common struggle, Mike and Nat get to know each other's addiction story on the air, and they realize they have more in common than they could have imagined. Listen as they discuss current topics of interest to the recovery community, including 12-step, alt-recovery, the newest medical research, and talk about their daily struggle to maintain their recovery and anonymity in the world of soccer moms and PTA meetings, if the neighbors only knew. Find Recovery in the Middle Ages on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Twitter, and MiddleAgesRecovery.com. That's MiddleAgesRecovery.com. All right, and of course, this episode is brought to you by listeners like you in the Dopey Nation through the Patreon page. And this week, Dopey Patreon has done more than it's ever done. We did the stash word on the Patreon Zoom last week. Linda and I did a whole tribute to William on Tuesday. The new bonus episode featuring Steve Gorman from the Black Crows came out on Wednesday. Join Dopey Patreon Get all this bonus content. It'll blow the brains out of your minds or something. Also, if you want Dopey merch, go to dopeypodcast.com. We've partnered with an amazing company out of Ohio called SRO Prints. They are recovering addicts like you and me, and they make some amazing Dopey merchandise. The Dopey Skull hoodies are super fresh and going quick. That's dopeypodcast.com. If you want any Dopey beanies or snapbacks or oy vey, snapbacks, just Venmo me. I also have, of course, Dopey stickers. And that's all just to Venmo me at Dopey Podcast. Enough with the ads. Here is the fucking show. Before we start the show, I just wanted to say something... Um, that happened last week, which was that uh, a member of the Dopey Nation died. His name was Liam or William. He was a sweet, sweet kid. I didn't know him well. He was 25 years old, so he was a sweet young man. He uh, participated in Dopey Nation all the time. Ray and I touch on it a bit in the show, but I'm not sure if we touched on it strongly enough, so I wanted to say something about it. Also, the Patreon this week was all about William, uh, and Linda and I discuss it. So if you want to listen to that, you can hear that. But more importantly, it's that William had been asking about drugs, and a lot of people responded, and there was a lot of guilt around William's death. And all I want to say is that nobody is responsible for William's death. Uh, Addicts die, as we know, which is a terrible truth about our affliction. But what we can do is do our best to reach out to uh, the next addict, who might be struggling, and if you're struggling, you should reach out. Or if I'm struggling, I should reach out. And I think that should be baked into uh, as much of Dopey as possible. I love to have fun on the show. I love to laugh about the dumb shit I've done and hear about the dumb shit you guys have done. But when someone dies, it is a strong reminder that we need to reach out to the next person. And obviously, I'm sure a ton of you guys have experienced death uh, Around your addiction or your family or your friends Uh, You guys obviously know that I have And um, it's just part of the deal Which is what makes Dopey so bittersweet Anyway, we have a really, 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 really Classic Dopey episode So, William, rest in peace We love you Here's the show
2: Hello and welcome to Dopey My name is Dave And I'm here with my good friend Ray how are you doing, Ray? I'm good, Dave. All right, enough of
1: this.
2: <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Dopey, podcast about
1: drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is David. Wait, we're doing the show now? I'm here with my acquaintance, okay. Ray. <laughs> here with Ray. Welcome
2: back, Ray. Hi, Dave. Back at the kitchen table. Thank
1: God uh, we're back in New York City. I do believe I've had enough. Um, fucking coming into the city by train today oh you took the train i took the train today i wore the mask the whole time and i don't know about you or the people in the Dopey nation but when i wear the mask you know what happens
2: your glasses fog up
1: no i don't wear glasses (laughs) right you know what happens um you can't breathe i can breathe what happens to me and this happens in the supermarket And it happens on the train
2: Oh, it falls off your nose
1: No, it doesn't fall off My nose is gigantic (laughs) The the pressure between the mask, my nose, and my ears is like palpable Um, What happens is I get congested And my nose starts running behind the mask Yep, It is so disgusting And do you use the mask as a Kleenex then? No, but I want to I really, really want to just blow my nose into the mask I've done that Well, I was on the train today and I remembered, this is the first time I rode the train since March 13th. Whoa. And March 13th was the day that I knew I had COVID. And on the way in on March 13th, I had, like, a huge bottle of hand sanitizer, and I was, like, not touching anything. But I was already... You, are, you already had it. I was already <laughs> afflicted. Today, you were a super spreader. Today, I was a super spreader. Today, I uh, I had to go to the bathroom, but more importantly, I had to wipe my nose. On the train. On the train. Ugh. And there was no bathroom in my car, so I had to, like, fucking walk through the cars, touching COVID everywhere. But like the
2: president, I feel very immune. But so you're doing the things today that all of us have been doing for months now, like riding trains, freaking out about touching things. I don't even know if I'm freaking out about it, frankly. I I rode the train here today. I would never... I I, I always walk here, but it was raining, so I took the train.
1: Well, it was... uh, it was weird. It's an unpleasant experience, but it did remind me of old school days. You know, I took, I go to the bathroom and I take the roll of toilet paper. Yeah. I figure that's wor- I just take it with me. Oh, you took the whole See, thing. Yeah, I take the whole thing. I feel <laughs> like it's part. I mean, you know how much costs to get here and back?
2: I do. It's $15 each way.
1: Yeah. It was 38 bucks round trip for a fucking peak. Yeah. And I used to have. Wait, money. there's
2: no peak. You bought a peak. I buy peak. There's no peak anymore.
1: Motherfuckers. How can they charge it's, me for a peak? It's
2: all off peak oh these fucking bastards and yeah. i bought a
1: brown trip yeah i used to have a monthly obviously but i'll tell you um the reason i did it was because driving is so unpleasant for me
2: well you know me, me with driving i'm terrified of driving now something happened to my brain where driving is very scary my brain has always been like that and i i had an idea for dope but you say i never have ideas and it was Dopey road trip, but then I was like, "Well, who's if he drives, I'll be terrified. If I drive, I'll be terrified." I can't go on a road trip. What are you talking about? Road trip to where? I was just thinking about West Virginia, and we had such a good time. If we drove uh, like a day trip, like driving back on the same day.
1: Oh, there will be there. There is there is some kind of
2: dopey road trip coming up, and and meet with like dopey nation people wherever we go.
1: I like it, but I have to figure out how to get out of my house to do it. Um, I had to drive. To New Jersey on Tuesday to work at the Katz's warehouse. I was which I was, was terrified. I
2: was on the phone with you. <laughs> I'm like Dave's going to wreck.
1: <laughs> no, it was like the drive-in. It all reminds me of my my problem, and and you know one of my big problems is that I chew paper towels. Oh yes, yeah, gross. I chew paper towels to alleviate anxiety i get nauseous when i see you chewing paper towels i want to throw up listen this is about me it is not about your reaction (laughs) to my paper towels (laughs) it is about the reason that i chew paper towels which i think is has to do with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder it 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 takes away the big voices in my head it comes really the the waves of
2: it's like heroin
1: uh, It's more like probably Lexapro. I chew Lexapro (laughs) as paper towels. What is Lexapro? It's some sort of uh, (laughs) anti-anxiety, anti-depression. I think
2: you should go on Maury Povich show. For what? For I eat paper towels. I don't
1: eat them. (laughs) I chew them. You think you you spit them out? Of course. Uh You think I'm swallowing gigantic (laughs) pieces of paper towels? I don't know. It's so gross. Listen, is this a judgment? I don't judge you for eating pubic hair, licking <laughs> I don't toilet seats pubic. and all this stuff you do. <laughs> I and don't. You're going to judge my <laughs> chewing paper towels? Okay, so we're driving to New Jersey, and I had broken my tooth this week. I broke my tooth on a fucking frosted uh, mini-wheat, you know, but that shows how sad my teeth <laughs> Wait, are. Wait, let me see your teeth. I have the replacement crown in. Oh. Okay. So my teeth don't look good. It's not a pretty picture. They look picture. good. Thank they- you. Um, fucking... <laughs> I broke my tooth Shit is all fucked up I feel how fragile they are Which reminds me of what a fucking drug addict I am But So I'm driving in Are I, your teeth fucked up
2: because of drugs? Or just because of normal life?
1: Probably a mix of both And, and poor dental hygiene Lack of flossing Do you, you don't
2: floss every day? I don't want to talk about it right okay. Do you floss every day? I've flossed every day of my life Let me see Yeah, Ray's teeth are beautiful.
1: (laughs) Those are some really nice teeth. (laughs) I don't want to talk about my lack of dental hygiene. I'm not the the greatest flosser in the world. Um, So, like, teeth are fragile. The dentist reminds me that I forgot to have the crown put in last time because I had actually gone to the dentist that same week, March 10th.
2: That was weird. You went to the dentist. He put a temporary on. He's like, come back in a month, and then you never came back. Never went back.
1: I had COVID. I felt like the world had stopped. And, uh, and, they, and I also had gotten to my max of dental right, insurance. Right, your insurance. So I didn't want to pay out of pocket. Anyway, so he puts the fucking shit, the fake crown on my tooth, and he says, don't eat anything that can fuck this up. And I know he doesn't know that I have the chewing paper towel problem. I'm oh. scared to tell him. You know, I you don't want to tell, tell him. him. I know, but I don't want because like what's he? You you're so disgusted. What's a
2: dentist going to say? I'm not disgusted hearing about it. I'm disgusted seeing it. All right, just take it easy. Come on. <laughs> I so, don't know. It gives me like a gag reflex. All right, just please. <laughs> I
1: don't. I don't want to go down the gag reflex <laughs> rabbit hole. But so I'm... On the fucking north of Manhattan, kind of between where the Bronx. Manhattan, the Bronx, and Long Island meet the, the tri Bridge, the, the, the RFK Bridge. Yes. It's a lot of anxiety. And I find that in those moments, I reach for the paper towel, right? Oh, you have them in the car? I have them in the car. I also need to blow <laughs> my nose. Yeah. My nose is always congested and running. So I'm like, I reach for the paper towel, and I'm chewing on the right side, and I'm like, I'm not going to... Not going to bring it over there. Just going to keep it over here. And I'm listening to uh, Howard Stern interview uh, Matthew McConaughey. Pretty, I heard that. Really, pretty good interview. And I move the paper towel to the left side and I hear a crack. I hear another crack. And it's like, this is insanity doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. I pull out another shard of tooth. This thing is holding. And I'm just like, I'm. I'm mortified and shamed. So now you have two broken tooth? Or was it the same I don't two? know. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on in there, but it's not good. I'm embarrassed to tell you the story. Are you embarrassed for me? No.
2: That's what happens. That's what happens. Fucking I, terrible. I went to the dentist for, I think I told you, I was there for like three hours and then three hours more. You said you've never had nitrous <laughs>
1: and that the dentist
2: is one of the more relaxing places that you get to go. I enjoy laying there with my mouth open. There we go. I'm also friends with my dentist, so it's fun. It's like we're visiting. I'm friends with the my dentist and the dental assistant. Like we hang out after work. That's nice.
1: So you're like ah ah. Yeah, the, we're like having a good time. Yeah, my dentist doesn't want to hear me talk to him. Oh. I start telling him something. He's like, all I'm like is, can you please give me nitrous? I need nitrous because I'm afraid. I'm afraid, so I need nitrous. He goes, goes, it's okay, Dave. That's what he said. (laughs) It's okay, Dave. You don't need the nitrous today, Dave. (laughs) And I'm like, ah. And so like, (laughs) but then I get to New Jersey. I I
2: want to try nitrous. I've never done nitrous. Listen, I. I, Is that a slip to do nitrous? If you just did it. If, If I go to the dentist and ask him for nitrous. If, if, I'm not your sponsor. If then. I go, I'm going over to my, to my dentist's house like in a couple weeks. I'm going to spend the night. And like, if why I'm, are you going to spend the night? Just your to hang out. House? To hang out. And if I go there, and I was like, can you give me some nitrous? And he, my dentist gives me nitrous. Is that a slip? I think it is. It's definitely. A slip. He's always offering me drugs. What is he offering you? Whatever dentist staff like sec- uh, Vicodin and-
1: Todd's father was a dentist, and he would always get tanks of nitrous. We always love going to shows and doing nitrous. I'm surprised that you never did nitrous. No. Nitrous is like.
2: I love the nitrous mafia that goes around to at least hippie shows.
1: And they call nitrous hippie crack. And the reason <laughs> they call it hippie crack is because it lasts so short and you're desperate for the next balloon so badly.
2: Oh, when it's over, you want more? You don't want
1: it like you're craving it like a junkie or yeah. a crackhead, but it's like, it's a profound. I don't want to like glorify sucking down <laughs> nitrous, but I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very interesting I, I experience. I mean, that's
2: why I didn't like Coke, because it was so short. It just drove you drove crazy. But I was at a dead show once, and so they were passing joints, passing free acid. They were passing all kinds of things around, and there was a nitrous balloon, but it never came to me, and I'm like, I want that.
1: I remember I went to school at Ithaca College, and I, there, were a lot, there were a lot of hippies where I went to school, and at the parties... There was always a nitrous tank. And the first time I did nitrous, I remember I, like, sucked down a balloon and I, like, rolled on the ground with glee. I think I gave them all my money that night. (laughs) Like, every dollar I had, I just gave it to them. Um, And it was, like, it was one of the... it It was a profoundly... Pleasurable drug experience for me It it was It should have been One of those tip off signs Yeah Like whenever I was around A nitrous tank I would give them all my money
2: How much does nitrous cost For a hit I think it's like Five bucks a balloon For a balloon But it's a big balloon And a balloon lasts For a little while Or is it one hit No
1: it lasts for a while I mean it's like It depends on how big The balloon is And you can hold it I mean, you take it, you draw on the balloon, and you yeah. hold it, and, okay. and, it,
2: and you know, everything
1: slows down. Oh. It's crazy. Um, Sounds I, like
2: glue. It's probably like glue. It,
1: it's 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 you know, an experience. I,
2: I had a memory of like a first drug memory of I was chatting with my friend Bo, and I was like, the first time I got dilated, I was reminded of dilated by William, and um, I was telling Bo about William's death, and. Um, I went to the dentist, once again, and I had my wisdom teeth taken out, and they gave me, not intravenous, but in the, in the arm, a shot of Dilaudid, and I was like, whoa, this is how I've always wanted to feel, and I want to feel like this for the rest of my life, and they gave me a prescription for pill Dilaudids, and when I got home the next day, I took them, and then the next day, I crushed them up and snorted them. I was in high school.
1: And you knew that you wanted the instant relief of Dilaudid. Delauded was the drug of choice in Drugstore Cowboy. When they when they got Dilaudid, oh, right. they were always excited. <laughs> but I think it's more important to to talk about William. Uh, Linda and I went over... Uh, I, I his, listened to the, that Patreon. Oh, you did? That was really nice. Um, and so we have to say, because nobody listens to Dopey Patreon, but one of uh, the members of the Dopey Nation, uh, a guy named William... Overdosed and he died last week,
2: and um, it I, was, and it was like during the dopey zoom, and Dave heard it, and then he, Dave called me afterwards, and it was just like such a roller coaster to have such a good time on that, and then it was so sad. It was
1: it, uh, I, I we were finishing up the dopey Patreon stash word game show zoom, which was really it really was a lot of fun, and uh, and Andrew in the Dopey Nation texted me. That uh, William had died And I was just shocked I mean I was fucking shocked Because this kid uh, Was
2: such an unlikely He seemed like an unlikely member of the Dopey Nation Right he didn't seem druggy at all And he had written to me Like recently something like You know casual and I'd written back And But then I saw on Dope I, I, I didn't realize this was him at first But he had written on Dopey Nation Like a few hours before he died Hey Ray Brown Are you the new co-host of Dopey Dope, uh, Dope Podcast Because we would be down with that And I was like I can't answer that Like we're just, we're just playing it by ear So I didn't respond Yes or no Because there's no answer and I But I should have DM'd him And said Hey man uh, uh, Hey man Unclear and i had i did a fourth step yesterday and i i was telling my sponsor about that and he's like you can put yourself in the fourth step so i put myself in there like did not respond to somebody tagging me and um uh, i don't know i just put that on and i felt guilty for not responding to that i mean i know that's not it didn't have anything to do with anything, but in my mind it did. I understand that. I
1: mean, we talked about it on the on the Patreon show a lot, but I think it's worth talking about. The the thing about all this, like I feel guilty talking about enjoying nitrous, that somebody who's clean is going to be like, I'm going to get some nitrous, then they're going to relapse and die. Right. It makes you
2: question all of this stuff.
1: Well, I mean, we built, and I've said this a million times, we, we didn't build Dopey uh, to be sanctimonious We built Dopey to be fun And to keep people company However We're talking about A very lethal Subject matter And we're talking about Very vulnerable people So like
2: I strongly If if this was a podcast About skydiving Or cliff Cliff jumping You would have to Take that into it Right Right I mean
1: so I, I I feel terrible That William died It reminds me of All the other deaths That we've dealt with In the Dopey Nation You know Especially Chris's um, Because I didn't know about Chris using And I didn't know about William using And William would write me about Hamilton Like I mentioned Hamilton on the phone I'm sorry I mentioned Hamilton on the show And he loved Hamilton And I wound up loving Hamilton and uh, and I you, always you acted out Hamilton in the dining room. Well, I always wanted to. Um, I was wanted to do a bit about Hamilton on the show, and maybe one day I will. But I had it in my head every week since then. I have to do it for William, and his his name would pop into my head. Yeah. And then I was just sort of hanging out one day, and I was perusing the the Dopey Nation Facebook, and I saw his question about Dilaudid. And it, it I mean, the first opiate I did was Dilaudid. I was in college and somebody had some Dilaudid. And I remember I had a friend who was in recovery at the time was like, oh man, you shouldn't mess with Dilaudid. And, um, and I liked it, but it didn't change my life. And that's the thing about any opiate. It's going to affect you in pretty much the same way. You know, if you're doing car fentanyl or if you're doing street heroin or you're doing Dilaudid or you're doing...
2: It's all the same.
1: Well, it's pretty similar. You know, and, and I mean, I I never was on OC 80s. I didn't do many, I didn't do any Oxycontins. I did Dilaudid. I did heroin. I did tar heroin. The, the, um,
2: the last thing I did was like Vicodin, like abusing Vicodin.
1: If you take enough Vicodin and you don't have a tolerance, it's going to feel similar. Vicodin and beer. Right. Right. Um, so I guess the point of the matter is, if you're on the Dopey Nation or if you're out there and then you're in recovery and you see somebody who might be vulnerable,
2: definitely stick your hand out for them. It, it made me look at Dopey Nation posts differently in the past few days of like what people are posting. And I'm like, is that person in trouble?
1: Well, it's like right after Chris died. I wanted the show... The show changed, right? Yeah. And then you kind of relax again. And you, and like we were just talking about sucking down nitrous balloons with impunity. Yeah. You know? let so, it. So it's like it, we're not sucking down <laughs> nitrous balloons. What I'm saying is... I just had
2: a Diet Coke. <laughs>
1: what, what does that have to
2: do with that? I don't thing? know.
1: <laughs> what does that have to do with
2: know. nitrous balloons? Sucking down nitrous, drinking Diet Coke. I don't know. Nothing.
1: What, is, what, is, what in your head triggered you to think about the Diet I Coke? I don't know. I don't know. What are you talking about? Move on, move on. I don't want to move on. I find this fascinating. (laughs) But basically, I I don't know how to quantify William's death or the role in Dopey around it. The idea is that if you're a drug addict and you're in recovery, I I don't think it's wrong to, to... Talk about what you've done And if you're a drug addict And you're not in recovery I don't think it's wrong To talk about what you do But if you're a drug addict In recovery And you see somebody Who might benefit From being reminded Of how dangerous It can be I I think you should Say something
2: Yeah When um, uh, Matt called in A couple weeks ago And he was like Thinking of using And and we like Turned that around I think Oh yeah Matt's doing great Um, He's bored at home It's like sometimes That's all it takes Is just to talk to somebody
1: and today on the show, it's a real throwback kind of show. We have uh, this guy. His name is Chris Kelly. They call him the CK. <laughs> the CK. Well, no, they call him CK. I just <laughs> say the CK because I had a buddy who I called DK, and we call him the DK. But this is Chris Kelly. He's a member of the Dopey Nation. He's a serious drug addict, and he has really, really serious recovery. Oh, he's a member
2: of the Dopey Nation? Now Facebook Ray is just dying to look at him. <laughs> well, when I was listening to him, I'm like, this guy sounds like he's very good looking. And then This guy is so good looking,
1: <laughs> he might even make Matthew Wiedemeyer
2: Carroll okay, look ugly. I gotta look him up. Well, he said, like he said he was very charming and he got away with a lot of stuff because he's charming. And I thought, charming, that's like I think I know what that means. What does it mean, Ray? It means good looking. You love this guy. Not yet.
1: Ray objectifies and covets the male listeners in the Dopey Nation. (laughs) But this, I really, really, really thought this guy was incredibly Chris-like and really old-school, hardcore Dopey and hardcore recovery. So here we go. Here he is, C.K., Chris Kelly. So we have something different yet very exciting. Different but the same. On the phone, I have a legendary figure from the Berkshires. It was and you were friends with chris right
3: yeah yeah i was friends with chris yep
1: and they call him do they call you chris or do they call you ck
3: they it's uh more ck i guess is is what i'm known as up here um that's a kind of nickname i got
1: did they call you did they call you ck forever or was it after chris died
3: no it was before like i mean i was so from the cape originally and you know that's where like ninety percent of my mayhem took place, um, and I got that nickname in high school. Like from like I had like Calvin Klein Calvin Klein Cologne, and I had the CK, so I started getting called it there, and it kind of stuck through the years. Came up here, one of my buddies who I who got sober before me, who I ran with. Um, you know knew the nickname and kind of like maybe probably put it out there a few times and then it's just stuck i mean i was working at newport academy as a program director and like the people there the clinicians the therapists the ceo were referring to me as ck in emails it was kind of weird
1: it it, it sticks immediately i had a, a very close friend named dave kennedy who was always just dk um yeah so it's these things stick and ck Is a a legendary figure in that Chris scene. You know, he works at the same house as Dylan, and Dylan told some crazy, dopey stories around you and him from Cape Cod, I think, trucking on crack or something like that. Is that possible?
3: yeah we had some uh we had some we yeah we so we, we and dylan actually ran together for probably about a decade um until until finally he he left the cape and, and ended up coming up to this area and got sober and i was like you know two and a half years behind him and then uh he actually kind of you know 12-step me and got me up here and, and got sober so we you know we lived together in like i don't even know five or six different places you know from about i think i was 18 he was you know two years older um and so our, our drug use and addi- you know addiction kind of progressed together at the same time. So it was you know a lot of drinking, a lot of smoking weed, psychedelics, getting into like you know uh, sniffing coke and some pills to to oxy's to then you know smoking, so oh, smoking coke and then and then ultimately shooting cocaine and heroin. So we progressed the same way um, <laughs> over the years. we had a. Pr- significant bond with that and then it turned into like now we've both been sober over a decade which is fucking insane to be honest
1: well it's pretty it's pretty amazing i was um i was at a meeting this morning you know and it was a big book uh a big book meeting and they were reading from the doctor's opinion and uh and all i could hear I mean, I, I actually just, you know, read The Doctor's... I have my first sponsee, and I just read The Doctor's Opinion with my first sponsee. But for some reason, it didn't click with me in the same way. We were reading it, and I could just hear Chris... Um, and probably every episode we ever did, he quoted from The Doctor's Opinion at some point. You know, he would say something, because Chris was so fucking, uh, you know, well-versed in big-book knowledge and, and quoting yep, it. Absolutely. Um, and it just like it was so sad this morning because I was just thinking like you can know everything and then just decide not to do the work one day and and, and it all goes away.
3: Yeah, it's it's really I mean it's it's that crazy. It's that it's that it's that quick sometimes, you know, and it talks about like to quote the big book, I guess is you know, talks about there a lot is you know, self knowledge, it builds us nothing. So it's, you know, we can know all the intricacies of our addiction and our mind and our shame and our guilt and our resentment and our frustration and, and also know what we need to do. It's, but there's no substitute for just fucking doing it. We just got to do it.
1: Right, right. And how, how, how well did you know Chris?
3: Um, I mean, I knew Chris pretty well. He was definitely a, a lot closer with, you know, Colin and, and Dylan being the sponsor and those guys. But, you know, from the moment he, he came up to the area and, and kind of stuck, um, I remember the first, the first time I, Really met him was we were at this uh, men's meeting, and this was back in, geez, I don't know, maybe 2011 or something like that, or 12. Um, and he spoke, and it was a small meeting, and me and Dylan were both there. And me and Dylan, like he, you know, as you've heard some of the stories, you know, we had we did some some pretty stupid shit. So anytime we heard somebody speak who had like some sort of you know similar <laughs> level yeah. of insanity yeah. to their story, it immediately gravitated towards. So I remember we looked at each other, and we were like, "Fucking this guy, we like this guy." Um, and so then you know I started. We started talking to him after the meeting. Dylan eventually became his sponsor. Um, you know I would I would talk with him a lot. At this point, I was pretty heavy into into the action part of the program, and so he would you know call me and you know bounce certain things off of me and um, and stuff like that. So we see him around a lot until you know. then he moved out with with those guys. Ended up relapsing. Um, you know, came came back to the area, living at Dylan's, and I would see him a little bit. This is probably about two thousand fifteen, and then. And then I moved away from the area, uh, got that job and kind of moved closer. So for the previous, for the couple of years before, before he passed, I didn't see him or really like any of those guys too, too much. I was kind of like, this was, you know, first time in my sobriety, like really just fucking became crazy with work. And, um, you know, kind of like that is almost like became an addiction. And I was like my mid thirties. I had like five years, six years sober. And I was like, you know, this is what I should be doing. Um, and ultimately that, that was great. And I learned a lot, but I, what, I, what happened was I got really disconnected from, you know, my primary purpose and from the program and um, became like really unhappy, depressed, like gained like 40 pounds. It was just like a lot going on. And um, I remember uh, I got to see Chris and I hadn't talked to him. Um, we would actually send each other text messages. His birthday was a, a day before mine. So every year around our birthdays, we would, we would, we would text. I would text the day before he would text me the day after um, so I communicated with him in that way, but I hadn't seen him probably a couple of years and really any of those guys. And I came down to, uh, or came up, I should say, to Great Barrington. And it was on a Saturday or it was on a Sunday. And, and Chris was there. He was doing one of his weekend shifts and pretty much spent the majority of the time I was there just kind of chatting with him in the corner of the living room. Um, and that was, that was you know, July, July or August, I think. And uh, a couple weeks later, you know, I got that phone call at work that, you know, that he had, he had overdosed. So did, he seem, did he seem did he seem high? No, he didn't seem high to me. I feel like I have a pretty good radar for that. Yeah. Uh but no, he didn't. He didn't seem high to me. Um I don't know. I'm sure he was trying to like, you know, manage that as best he could being at the at the house with a lot of people who know him pretty well and, and know that, you know, look pretty well. So yeah, totally. it, was, it was you know, it was crazy, crazy little moment.
1: And then the fucked up thing is that after he died, they recruited you back to take his shift.
3: Well, yeah. So, you know, Dylan had, I was kind of in the, <laughs> Dylan would always fucking jab me about being in the corporate world. Um, and so, I you know, I'd been at this place, you know, kind, kind of climbed the ladder for, you know, four four years or so at that point. And um, Dylan had constantly been trying to recruit me to come down and work at the houses, you know, uh, and when that happened chris was we what we call like the weekend warrior he would come from boston every other weekend and do a friday to sunday and so obviously that shift was was left open and so um you know i told dylan i was like i'll come you know i want to come and help and do what i can obviously and so i started doing that um in uh, september i believe two years ago and then um was doing that while working at the place i was working at and then left full-time in uh, June of last year. So I've been working at the house's uh, BTN for, you know, just over a year full-time now.
1: Wow, that's awesome. And, like, it's just, like, it's such a fucked-up thing. It's a good thing that you got to rejoin with your people and your friends. And, I mean, that's, like, the greatest way to work. The worst part is that it basically came out of Chris's death, um, which is weird. It's weird when things like that happen. But, like, I know that one thing that like was kind of mysterious And then we'll move on to your story And the and the, the craziness um, One thing that was kind of mysterious Was that people would say that Chris Wound up confiscating uh, Something And perhaps using it Like do you find like a lot of confiscation And are you ever tempted Or any of the people You work with Like Because everybody's An addict in recovery Basically And they're taking <laughs> Drugs off these people And I know that If if it was Chris In that situation It might have been a thing Because I think He was using it At that point
3: Yeah I mean Obviously if you're I mean if anybody Like like you said We're all We're all fucking addicts So if we're working In the recovery field And we're putting ourselves In situations Where we're around People who are You know Tired have to you know manage that situation or we have to do searches and confiscate stuff and we find needles or pills or whatever the fuck it might be um you know if you're not kind of dialed into your program and you're not accountable to other people it's certainly if you're using i mean if i was if i'm fucking using them i'm pocketing that stuff period that i just know that um but yeah so it's i'm I'm, i still to this day like I, i don't fucking i don't really get triggered i was just talking to uh Dylan, a couple of days ago, actually, and we like so we're both from the Cape, like I said. And, and last summer I was home, and like we were kind of talked about the differences between like you know the people at home who still drink and kind of drug recreationally, and some of them might be alcoholics, who might not be, whatever. Um, but like the type of environment, conversation, what that like leads to, and the differences between what we have up here. Um, but I was home, and I remember playing Beard Eye, which is like a, a drinking game with you know four of our high school friends who you know I still talk to, still communicate with. Uh, and it was like, we were at this cookout for my buddy and, and, you know, I sat down and I was playing sober. I was playing with water. Um, but like just being like when I'm around it, like I don't have, it's not, not even a thought or a temptation that I haven't had in years around it. It's when I'm alone. It's when like, you know, maybe I see something or I have some memory that will trigger something and I would get a visceral reaction inside my body of like remembering what that fucking felt like to take a crack hit or to have a shot of heroin or a shot of cold Right? What's the What
1: was, what was the game called? Beard Eye. Okay. But when they're playing Beard Eye, they're not smoking crack and shooting dope, right? They're just drinking a little bit.
3: They're just drinking. I mean, they're smoking some weed. Like one kid has some edi- Right. edibles, right. what the fuck they are. Yeah. Um, so like yeah But you know They weren't They weren't smoking crack I haven't been in a situation In my sobriety yet Where I've been around uh, In a room With somebody actively Shooting up or smoking crack I don't I don't I don't want to do that I'm not sure What that would feel like It would probably That would feel more weird I, I think
1: You don't go to like Crack based dinner parties And stuff Where everyone's like no. Let's No you know, I like, usually pass on Those invites now that's that's probably a good thing what now before you started you know your journey towards recovery we will do this in reverse like what was the end of the run how was like like what was the last time you used
3: well the end of the run well i guess it's 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 like multi-layered so the end of the run was got sober july seventh two 2010 end of the run was memorial day where uh uh, it was very fucking. It was just something I had done a, a million times. You know, I get paid on a Friday. Um, the girl I was dating, oh, actually, I'd married her. I had married her, um, and we had been married about a year. She went away to detox. We were both just active alcoholics, drug addicts, and she had left. So um, I got you know got a paycheck. I was working with my brother in law, who was actually sober at the time. We used to get fucked up together, and I went on like I don't even know a five six day run, um, which was you know just consistently getting coke getting heroin drinking staying up all night i mean i probably got in in about five days fucking i don't know 10 12 hours of sleep um and ultimately it came to the place where i've been to many times before which is i have no money I, I have no money left i have no resources like i you know i was very much a middleman i could utilize that to the best of my ability to to get things i needed um but just kind of like all that regret shame fucking guilt you know like all those fucking emotions that i'll constantly try to drive away with drugs and alcohol was just upon me and i'd had my family calling my my phone my mom and my sister just like begging me to come home because at this point it was very real we had lost people in my friend group to to you know to overdoses before when i was younger it was just kind of like oh whatever he's just you know he parties but at this point it was very real and i and i kind of went to my went to my sister's house and showed up there and kind of had like this i don't know kind of surrender um in which i just passed out on like you know asked for help essentially kind of and passed out on the couch for a couple days and then i stayed with her for the next you know month before i went to detox uh, which was july 1st but i was also getting really fucked up there i remember like two nights before i actually went to detox i was uh I was up in the room, and at this point, I'm just, I'm just using by myself. I would be up all night getting fucked up in the room. They'd be downstairs. I would sleep all day. They'd go to work. I told them I was out looking for a job or looking like trying to get a bed at detox, whatever. Um, and I was up there, and I had shot, um, I shot a bunch of Coke, and, and then I had Xanax, and I had some heroin, and I, and I dissolved both of those, and I shot those. And I remember I literally, you know, I must have fallen out to a certain degree. But Wait, you shot the Xanax? The Xanax and the heroin mixed after shooting the coke, yeah. Wow. And I woke up in the bedroom probably about, I mean, this was, I don't even know, time frame, maybe like one in the morning. And I kind of woke up with the needle still in my arm hours later on the floor, all like the, you know, the fucking, the, the spoon and everything right there. And, you know, I, I look back on that and probably like just how fucking close I was to death in that moment and not even realizing it. Um, and how close I was to recovery in that moment and not even realizing it. It was, it's... It was, you know, crazy experience looking back on it now.
1: Right, total. And that, was that the last shot?
3: <sighs> no, I got high the next night, and I actually got fucking caught in fever, <laughs> which was my last high.
1: Did that happen to you a lot, or was that the only time?
3: That happened to me maybe like a handful of times.
1: Dude, did you ever just shoot Xanax alone? Yeah, I did. Yeah, before that? Yeah, you would have, I never shot Xanax. I always
3: just ate it would shoot anything if i could break it down if it was water-soluble it was getting shot um for the (laughs) last few years anyways um i don't know if i had shot xanax alone before that typically i had like someone with me for the majority of it um unless i was like you know hoarding some sort of like crack until i got like back to my house so i could save some for like late night or the next day or whatever it might be um, but I usually had like you know uh, a running mate for for a lot of it. So I don't know if I had before. It's it's certainly possible. Um, but I do remember that last month was pretty. It was all alone. Um, I would go out. I'd be middleman. I'd get this kid coke. Um, I would then pinch some of that coke, make some money off of that. We would go to this rock right by where I would cop. Um, a while before this, I had like a like a TSA, and, you know, like a mini stroke from shooting from shooting up and. I remember taking that shot of coke and trying to like put the cap on the needle? Like my my right arm just like wouldn't wouldn't work. And I remember looking in the mirror of the bathroom of the fucking kind of like crack house I was in, and my whole like right side of my face was drooped. Oh yeah, like, What is what does TSA stand for? It's uh it's like a mini stroke. i I can't remember. Um, I can't honestly. I just remember it was referred to as a T. I'd have to look it up fuck man um, um, kind of like it's mini stroke is essentially what, what that is like not enough oxygen getting to the brain or something um, and I remember it stayed like that for a couple of weeks to the point like where I saw see my mom like I don't know like you know maybe a, a, a week or so later she was like what's wrong with your face and so from that point on like I like it scared me a little bit like you know I said, what did you I say
1: any- would you say oh I just had a mini stroke from shooting too much coke ma
3: oh no I was probably I not like, what are you talking about? Nothing. <laughs> what do you mean? Nothing's wrong with my face. I would literally smile, and, like, one side of my face would move, and the other side would stay still. One eye was, like, a, like a real lazy eye, and the other one, because I was always on something, it, like, was, like, wide open and wired. So it just, it looked, it was, like, apparent to people, like, something wrong with this kid's face, but, like, the muscles regain memory or function or whatever, and it, and it fixed itself, but... What would happen from that point is anytime I would shoot coke, I would like because at this point cross the line of like being able to somewhat manage myself to like complete psychosis. So I would do a shot. I remember I had this this there was this kid I would like you know pick up and I'd get coke for him like almost every day, and we would go to this rock and I would get the coke and then he would give me some. He did not shoot up. He would smoke it, so I'd drop him off later. But I would do a shot. I could never wait, and I would do this shot and Dennis and. I would immediately think that I was having a stroke again. It would bring me back to that every time, and I'd be, I'd be, I'd take off from that right away, except paranoid someone's going to show up. And I'm driving. I slip my arm. I got blood on me. I'm like looking at my face in the mirror, swerving all the road, punching my right leg, and like I'm, and I'm like, you know, turn, like stare at this kid. I'd be like, does my face look like it's drooping? Does my face? Look <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was fucking insanity. I was probably freaking this kid out. I had no idea. But, like, that was my experience of shooting coke on my own for the last, I don't even know, a couple of years. It would, it would happen almost every time. But unless I had enough dope in me to kind of, like, quell that. Right. Uh, right.
1: That's, like, classic but, cocaine paranoia psychosis, though. Like, one thing goes wrong and you
3: think it every time you use, right? Oh, uh, dude, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's what it was, which, which doesn't sound fun at all
1: no did you know did you know my friend Todd he lived at Dylan's house just just before uh Chris died he lived at yeah
3: I, I never actually met him um I, he had left uh, a little bit before I actually you know, came up there and started being around more
1: His classic cocaine Paranoia psychosis was that He was always pissing his pants So whenever he'd do coke He'd be like wait a second Do you see like do my pants look wet Do my pants <laughs> He'd so he ask me every time does it look like I'm pissing My pants and because he couldn't tell Like it was the same kind of thing it's hysterical Yeah, in
3: retrospect. yeah It like, happened one time and then your brain is just fucking it, just Every single time that you have this you know, experience with whatever the drug is. It, it happened with me with uh you know panic attacks with weed at one point, um, too, when I was a lot younger. But like every single time then it would just be like this trigger that would just bring back that same experience, whatever it was. What brought you to uh like when was the first time
1: you shot anything?
3: So the first time I shot anything was so and this is actually prevalent, uh, prevalent, like what is happening to me right now. So I got this, like my nose is like super clogged up, and I have like just recently, like I noticed like there's like this piece of loose cartilage like up in there somewhere, probably from all the drugs I used to sniff and some sort of demi-septum or something. So I have to get that figured out. But back in the day when, or I was shooting up, I remember my nose was always so clogged up because I would just sniff everything. I was smoking coke at the time, but I hadn't shot anything and I would literally have to take a crack hit to even be able to get a line of heroin up my nose because the crack hit would then like clear my senses real quick and then have like, you know, 15 seconds to just bang this line and so I was doing that for a period of time and I remember one of my, you know, one of my buddies had one of the guys who started, we were getting dope from him at the time um, you know, he had shot him up one time and so then uh, the next time, he, you know, we got needles and we were at the house, we were smoking coke, we had the heroin and you know we we shot each other up and that was my first time uh shooting up that was probably i don't know 24 i'd say
1: and how what how old were you when you stopped using everything
3: i was just uh almost 30 years old so i was you know 29 going on 30 so
1: you had like a fucking six-year period of shooting whatever you could shoot basically
3: yeah, it started with so it started with heroin, obviously, um, and coke was kind of like the last last draw of you know, something because I was I was much more of a cokehead. I was an upper guy. I would I would use the downers for landing gear and use them for comfortability throughout the day. Obviously, get dependent on that. But if I'm searching for something, if I'm if I'm like out there and I'm trying to get something, it is cocaine every time. Um, that's just how my brain works and, and how my obsession worked, I guess. But. Um, you know And then I started Shooting coke A little bit after that and Obviously that was That was Not a good thing Ultimately in the long run That was Chris's Favorite thing He lived for shooting coke
1: Um Yeah i was like the opposite like like coke didn't ever do anything for me like i wouldn't shoot huge amounts of coke either so like and but i know that i think i had the bell ringing thing a couple times and i was like scared like it was not it was nothing chris would always describe it as something that scared the shit out of him but he needed to keep doing it you know what i mean like he lived for that did you did you have a similar thing with the bell ringing
3: yeah i remember um first time uh first time I ever shot coke I was at this other kind of like crack you know trap house place I just you know I find these places on the caper or a tent or a camper or a beach or wherever and um, uh, you know I shot up coke there and I remember I did this and I really had no gauge on how much to shoot up so and I was doing it in a fucking you know a beer can the upside down part of a beer can so it's also disproportionate to what a spoon might look like so I really didn't know
1: <laughs> so it's like this gigantic spoon you mean
3: yes exactly so it the, the the amount of cocaine in the can probably looks you know it's probably looks smaller than what it was but it would be a lot in a spoon yes and i remember i did this shot and um and i remember just immediately getting this taste in the back of my throat that was so overpowering and i was like and i and i like kind of went into a little panic and i was like oh my god like that's that's not good and i remember i was trying to put the 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 cap on the needle and I was just shaking like convulsing I couldn't like literally I was just stabbing myself in the finger trying to get this thing on and it was my eyes were like slot machines it was like I couldn't see too far in front of me and my hearing it felt like everybody was like drowned out super far away it was a literal like you know probably the biggest one I've ever gotten that I probably chased for a long time from there I got some that was similar but that one it was like won't 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 and I and I tried to get up because I was I was panicked I started to panic a little bit Because I just knew the intensity Of what I had just done I could feel it And I, I literally My legs would I couldn't move I couldn't get up
1: Isn't it so fucked up The, the chasing The thing Like you had this Like basically This near death Ridiculous cocaine experience And that's what you chase You know what I mean Like it, It's just It's it's Like my daughter I I have a 10 year old daughter And she had Two baby teeth Pulled today Okay and yep. uh, and they decided they wanted they they gave her uh, nitrous. Okay, fucking yep. ten, my ten year old daughter is high on nitrous, laughing her ass off, watching Toy Story, and uh, all I can think is I hope this isn't like. The origin story I remember I know You know I I remember the first time I did nitrous I was probably like 16 And I didn't do it A a dentist gave it to me And he was an old Russian dentist And I had And I had already like Smoked weed a couple times And he gives me the nitrous And he was an old Russian guy And he goes Oh have you experimented With marijuana And I started just (laughs) Dying laughing And And I remember being like I love how this feels You know what I mean mean like um yeah. when was the first time like anything caught you like that
3: so the first time and I honestly didn't remember this until I until I'd gotten sober and I heard some people kind of talking about the first situation in which they kind of like felt like a, like a painkiller so like a nitrate like the story of the nitrate right there right um and I remember I was probably 13 14 and you know I played a lot of sports growing up and we would play a lot of tackle football and I remember I was playing quarterback. I like pump fake this kid and I like, tried to like turn to like roll out of the, like roll away from him. And I got need right in the lower back and it like compressed the disc or slipped the disc. It did something that was incredibly painful. Um, and I remember like I ended up going home and I couldn't walk and my mother took me to the hospital. And I remember they gave me a shot of Demerol when I was there. <laughs> yes they were and I remember like my mom talking to me like a similar situation she's kind of like laughing at me because I'm just so out of it and I'm just like telling stories or like kind of just like you know like so confused but just you know like super high just like the body feeling good the mind feeling relaxed for the first time probably not thinking about all the bullshit that had been going on in my head for so long um and you know I didn't start like doing painkillers until a while after that I started drinking quickly after that uh like my first drunk was, was around the same time or shortly after um So it might have triggered some sort of obsession of chasing some sort of relief or escape from uh, just the mind and how I was feeling. Um, But, yeah, that was – and I totally kind of forgot about that or certainly any type of relevance to my story with that until I got sober. But that was my first experience with any type of pain medication that I can recall or or something like a nitrous or anything like that.
1: And what about, like – I hear you, and, like, I think that's a pretty, like – that's a common story, like, amongst – you know athletes like that shot of demoral i've heard you know what i mean you hear that story and then like how it equates to the drinking you don't make the conscious connection but it's right there you just don't realize it right
3: yeah yeah i like yeah i had no conscious connection of of any of it really until until i get sober and even then it took a little while to kind of piece some of it together it was there was no conscious connection to much of anything there was just a uh a, an experience I had which provided me with a sense of relief and escape and numbing that I desperately was looking for allowed me to feel like I was connecting to other people for the first time because it was actually fucking quiet. Uh, and then I just saw, I just, I just, I love that feeling. Like it talks about in the book, like we drink or use for the effect produced. And that effect produced for me was, it was so powerful and I, and I loved it. I chased it with every fiber of my being for, you know, 15, 16 years.
1: No, I get it. I get it. It's it's just so weird like I still take pleasure in hearing the fucked up stories. You know, it's different though. You know, like like um when we started making the show like I was all in on the stories. You know what I mean? Yep, I, I like, remember the
3: first so it's Chris would be like maybe one day we'll It'll be a blend of some recovery And some, you know War stories And you're like Fuck that This is drugs and dumb shit It's what we're doing
1: (laughs) Well, and it works You know, it works until It works until like Sobriety gets you And your friends die, right? It's like Yeah It's like Only a fucking Crazy person Would not I mean, you know I feel bad That like It's funny because The people who use You know, the dopey Audience That uses Or that uses like just you know they, they can't get to recovery or they they don't want to stop or whatever the case may be like a lot of people criticize me because the show is too positive or there's too much recovery in it but it's like i challenge anybody to lose their two best friends to overdose and not change the show about drugs addiction and dumb shit a little bit have to right
3: yeah, I know. I mean, well, there's yeah, there's you you know the the person you you founded and started with you know had to overdose and die. That's going to be an incredibly changing experience for anybody, and and it's also going to lead to the point of like you know this podcast how you guys started it, which which is it's fucking awesome. It's like let's have some levity, let's have some fun, let's look at the dumb shit we've done, and let's laugh about it because there's there's a healing element in laughter. Um, and there's also a side of, like, hey, like, you know, a lot of the stupid shit I've done led me to this place, which has also produced this incredible life, which I'm able to be appreciative and grateful and present for. And, you know, we can touch on that here and there and, and have a little blend of the two, uh, you know. And, and the Dopey Nation, I remember, I, you know, I joined them earlier, I think, in this pandemic and was doing some of those Dopey Zoom meetings and shit like that. And, man, what a wild bunch of characters. I fucking love it. It's awesome. It's it's It blows my fucking mind how... Many people are, you know, use that as a source of of support and community, and how helpful it's become, and how just you two fucking guys meeting each other at the fucking porch and mountainside, talking about some war stories, turning into that. And now it's become a place for people to go to and talk about the struggle with trying to get sober. People actively trying to wean off a methadone or, or, you know, not take Adderall or whatever it is. Like all the struggle that we all know because we've all been there. We get it. You know what I mean? We can joke about it, laugh about it, be supportive. Um, but not everybody has the, the flip side of that. So I think there is, you know, a piece of importance to at least touching on that from time to time because wow. it can be a... So- Hope for some people,
1: I appreciate that. The craziest thing, though, is obviously that Chris had to die. You know what I mean? Like, that's the craziest thing. Like, yeah. it's like, it's like, I I always had big dreams of this thing being bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and whatever, and better and, you know, bigger. Because <laughs> I am grandiose, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I wanted it to be like uh, the Regis Philbin... Uh, Regis and Kathy Lee for Junkies or the Howard Stern Show for fucking Crackheads or whatever. I wanted it yeah. to be all those things. And, um...
3: Which it is, by the way. <laughs> it, it is.
1: <laughs> Dude, it's it's fucking... I am so grateful and 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 I love making the show and I I'm grateful that um that Chris gets to be a part of it even after he's dead and I'm I'm grateful that Chris's death uh gets to offer some people some fear, you know? But I hate that he had to go,
3: you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's that's you know, that's the the sad you know, it's part like that. It's like hard to kind of settle with that part of it. When you know someone else's tragedy or certainly death is, you know, leads leads to other people it's getting a message that they might not have gotten otherwise, or, or shifting their perspective on life otherwise. It's it's hard to kind of like settle with that. Um, yeah, it sucks. yeah, it's, it's the worst. so worse, tough.
1: But tough um, thing. when when you're fucking getting into you know using. You know, some I, I somebody challenged me the other day, and they were like, "Write about when you knew you were an addict." You know, and I've been writing this thing, and it sucks, and I haven't gotten to when I knew I was an addict yet. But when if you if someone asked you that, when do you think you knew you were an addict?
3: To when I knew I was an addict. Honestly, I don't. So I had so I was I was court ordered detox at seventeen years old to the same place I went back to wait 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 wait. hold up why were you court ordered detox at 17. oh jesus dude 17 to 18 was a rough was a rough stretch i got arrested a shit ton of times uh for all sorts of different charges um and i had to go i went to i remember i went to jail or you know the county jail at 17 for two weeks came out fucked up some other way went to the detox um in the the spring and then i had to go i actually got picked up on a warrant that summer and went back to jail for 40 days for with a suspended stay of like four months and 20 days what was the charges in the first place oh dude a bunch of stupid shit i had like i had like eight maybe eight or eight or so maybe more possession charges of possession uh minor possession of alcohol so they they literally took my license before i even had it i turned around <laughs> that court and like part of the Part of what the DA thing was like. All right, so we're gonna take his license away, and I was like, "Yeah, do that." You know, it's like it didn't because I didn't even have it at that point. So um, I got possession of class B, possession of class D, uh, bank fraud, check forgery. Uh, they tried to hit me with grand theft auto for fucking stealing a golf cart from this resort, which I didn't even really <laughs> uh, assault battery, breaking and nighttime, which is a felony, larceny. Wait, what was
1: violation. that? What is that?
3: Breaking and entering nighttime.
1: Oh, B and E nighttime, right? Okay, yeah.
3: Literally went into a restaurant and stole tips off the table. Terrible. That's just a yeah. car- that's a karmic
1: crime. You deserve whatever you get. I was a waiter forever. Can't be st- so bad.
3: But I just needed money, man. No, I, was I, get like, Fuck. I get it. I get it. I, did the, I, I broke into a fucking church one time and tried to find like the basket hidden in there to try to get the money out of that. I was. Dude, there was no lines that I did when, in the act of addiction that I didn't cross to to try to to try to get what I needed to get. Here, tell you know, tell
1: the story of breaking into the restaurant and stealing tips. Like what? Where were you? What happened? That sounds like a good story.
3: So I was at this restaurant. Uh, so my buddy had an apartment complex behind this restaurant. I'm trying to even remember the name. It's changed names so many times. This was this was like 1990. Um, I think it might have been the Tower House or something. It was in in Orleans, Mass. And so I remember I was trying to get some money. I needed to buy some booze, some weed, and some mushrooms. And I had no money, and I'd done all the things I could do to try to get money at this time. And I remember I was walking. There was a little path that went through this, uh, you know, around this fence that separated the restaurant from this apartment complex. Uh And I was walking to to somewhere. I don't recall where, but I remember... Then being outside the restaurant, and I kind of went in to use the bathroom or something, and I remember seeing some like tips on the table. And (laughs) we're very busy. This restaurant was, it was, it was live, it was open. And so I, you know, like went outside, think about it, I was in that moment of like impulsivity, like my heart was racing. I was like, I need to get this money, I need to get this money. And so I tried to strategically time it to where I was like watching them from the outside smoking cigarettes to where they were getting ordered order, and then they would go. And I remember I went in. I had been in and out of the restaurant a couple of times. They were probably like this kid, super shady. And um, I went in, and I went in a, a way where the waitress went back, and I went to two tables, and I got and I stole the money. And, I mean, it, was, it wasn't even a lot of money. It might have been, like, I don't know, 40 bucks total. I, I didn't get a lot of money. Um, and then I remember I left the restaurant, and I got picked up by my buddy, and he had a, he had a blue uh, Jetta and they had they had like saw like they had saw the suspicious suspects like i was very looking very shady at this point um and they ended up getting like the car and the make and we ended up getting pulled over and then they id'd me and then they they arrested me for eating nighttime and larceny under 250. It's terrible terrible yeah it was and i just got the drugs which my buddy hit on him so i didn't even get to enjoy the fruits of my theft
1: so basically, did you know you were an addict Because that year was so bad Or were they telling you were an addict And you were like, fuck that
3: Yeah, no, I, so where I was going with that was That was my only time in detox I went to jail a couple times And then I had a warrant for nine years and Then I got caught up, went back to jail Turned 28 in jail for the same bullshit from 18 And then I the, went, ended up going to detox at 29 And it wasn't until detox This time, Kind of telling my story, I had like some understanding of the steps at this point. And step one is, you know, powerless over alcohol has become unmanageable, and that was my moment where I was like, holy fuck! Like it just hit me like a ton of bricks for the first time ever. I had been in such delusion denial, whatever the fuck it was, where I thought I could, like, I got a problem, but if I just switch this and I stop doing this, if I stop shooting coke and I just do Adderall and fucking drink, whatever, all those crazy, you know, thoughts of trying to control it. It was never like I'm completely fucked. I'm an addict. I'm completely powerless. But telling that story, I remember I kinda of stopped in the process of telling it and I was like, Holy shit. I'm I'm completely you know, I'm powerless over alcohol and drugs. And my life is and has always been unmanageable. And it was in that moment that like that's where I knew I was an addict. That's where like I didn't know before. I always thought I could fucking somehow someday like figure it out manage it just drink just smoke pot just have prescription meds just stop smoking coke and shooting dope whatever but there was always this there was never this admission or like understanding that i was that was i was an addict or an alcoholic totally
1: fucking in that period of time like um were you like did you have to go to detox when you weren't arrested like did you pursue recovery like i i know that like between the ages of 25 and 35 you know i went to more detoxes than i could count i would go to detox when i'd run out of money i would go to um you know i went to rehab a couple times even though i wasn't done but i knew that it wasn't working like were you constantly trying to get better or were you constantly using or what was what was your deal
3: no i was pretty 24 7 uh, getting fucked up <laughs> um, i never never went to a rehab I only things I had done were date orders, that detox at seventeen, the three times in jail. Never pursued detox or AA meetings or anything like that on my own um, until that last time when I went at at twenty nine. Um, so that
1: was it. You didn't go. You didn't go to a detox one time through that whole period. Nope. That's amazing in itself. And that, but you also weren't like a day to day heroin user addict.
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. I was. Uh, there was a. There was. Uh, yeah, I was on. I was an opiate addict for for years. Um and then I you know, I found a doctor, you know, where I would get a prescription of, you know, methanol. She was giving me hundred and fifty milligrams of methanol a day and yeah. ten milligram pills. Um so I had that. I would obviously sell a bunch of those, try to get heroin. Um eventually i ended up pissing i like had this other kid piss for me and he he didn't have any methadone in the system so then i had to be switched to suboxone so i would have that but like these things were just to help like bridge the gap of not feeling well like it was i would wait until i was like unbearably sick before i would ever do a suboxone it was always like i'm gonna sell three of these suboxones and go get dope i'm gonna sell some of these Adderalls and go get coke it was you know i had these things to kind of bridge that gap um it
1: sounds like you're a pretty masterful businessman at this whole thing
3: yeah, I remember fucking what was funny, and Dylan tells this story is um, my sister. He was talking to my sister, and I was this is before I went to detox, and I was kind of upstairs uh, for that month after like that final, that final run, just getting get fucked up up there. And he was, you know, they were talking to him about coming down and talking to me. And she, he was like, "How's he doing?" And she, my sister was like, "Well, you know, he's he's upstairs most of the time. Like he's going out during the day, and you know, looking for work or whatever. And you know, I don't think he's using." And uh, Dylan was like, "No, he's definitely using. It. He's, he's <laughs> guarantee you right now, he's fucked up upstairs." If you know, and she was like, "How? Like he has no money." And he was like, "Chris Kelly does not need money to get fucked up." Um, and that was that was my M O. That's how I, I was a middleman. Constantly, I sold drugs a bunch of times, uh, unsuccessfully, always. You know, to the point of where I got beat up a few times. I had people looking for me with guns, like you know just just not good situations but I always had a connection and I always had people that didn't have that connection so I could always be that middleman at least to get a little bit of what I need on a day to day basis um and I worked a shit ton of like random like landscape I mean I probably mowed 75% of them long on Cape Cod right um you know I worked a bunch of different jobs never kept them for long obviously is you know hard getting me to work but people would show up to pick me up for work with coke and be like all right if we bring some coke we'll get we'll get CK to work (laughs) Right, was, I was just—I was that guy. So, that guy.
1: W- were you? You were basically providing everybody with drugs. You would get the drugs, everybody would pay you, and you'd have drugs.
3: Yeah, that—that that really the majority of how I survived on my my drug hack for so long was kind of being that middleman for people who didn't have the connection themselves. Oh so you can either get the better drugs, the cheaper drugs, or they just didn't they didn't have a connection to get coke or heroin or per 30 or oxygen or whatever it might be. And that that was that was that way from from high school. You know, I quickly learned that um A, there was a there was a feeling of importance of being a drug dealer and people coming to me and needing me, which is you're which useful. Billed. It's nice to be useful. Yes, exactly. That's how it started with you know, just selling weed in high school and stuff like that. Um but then also there was also a part of it like i could i could get things that i need and do things that i that i wouldn't be able to do without it so um, i was a very you know i was a likable person throughout this process i was you know i was never really a, a dick i did a lot of dickish things obviously but um you know so i was able to like you know manipulate essentially is what i did i manipulated i lied and i steal and and i would use people to get to get drugs and money um and I did it effectively for a long period of time And that, that was one of the reasons why I can, I was able to kind of like maintain that For so long um, you, and, had a good, to...
1: you had a good system You had a seamless system um, What do you think At the end of it right When you finally gave in Why did you give in
3: I think it was a. Uh, I mean, it was just, it was kind of like what you talked about. It was, you know, just being in the same situation that just lost a job Had just, you know, been on a run, kind of in that place of surrender, but not full surrender, just surrender to the conditions that was going on around me to where I had nowhere else to go, nothing else to do. I didn't have any opportunity to, to get anything in that moment. And that's, so I gave in and went to my sister's house, but... You know, I slept for like two days straight And then I woke up and it was the same bullshit I was like
1: Right, but, it, but the thing I'm talking about, right You went yep. for fucking 10 years 12 years, right you, you, yep. you went straight, you know Without even going to detox And it's one thing to lose a job And not have it or whatever It's another, I mean like that happened to me Which is why I did so many detoxes You made the psychic change Like wh- how did that oh. happen And why?
3: Well, the psychic well, the psychic change was really spawned from that that time in detox, um, where I finally I had like an epiphany. I had uh, just like a moment of clarity where where I was believed I was powerless and uh, my life was unmanageable, and like I, I felt that in my bones. Like it was it was this really power. Like the two most profound moments I ever had is the moment I discovered drugs and alcohol. This was the second most profound moment where I discovered I didn't need drugs and alcohol.
1: And that was at twenty nine.
3: That was at 29, yeah, almost 30 Right, amazing, amazing And that, what from that, was great was You know, there was this surrender And then there was this willingness that came with it And, you know, there was people there to, to help me And I really just got active in, in trying to fucking do things differently And take suggestions and all that shit that we hear all the time But it really works for me
1: It's incredible It's also incredible that you got to run As long as you did And then it was over And it stayed over do you know what I mean? Like that's remarkable. You know, you don't see that very often, right?
3: No, you don't. I mean, yeah, it's it's yeah. I don't know. I just you know, I just kind of got lucky uh, with with the people in my life and the situation and the timing, and I and I got you know, it's I just I got lucky, and I and you was were ready. Like a, you were ready, though, right? I mean, you were. Fucking I was ready. Re- I was. I, I was ready years before. I talk about this sometimes in meetings. But, you know, the miracle that that I got it is you know, the surrender and the message were there at the same time. There was, there was plenty of times where I was fucking surrendered. I was beaten down. I was in the same position I was in that I the message wasn't there. And I, I'm sure that the message of, and the support and the help was there a bunch of times, but the surrender wasn't there. And so, the, 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 you know, the beautiful thing is when that surrender, that message was there at the same time. And that doesn't happen for so many people. And I'm grateful as fuck that it happened for me because... Um, you know, I don't know where my life was going, but it was, it was, you know, chasing death pretty quickly.
1: It's amazing.
3: I I, I think that's, uh,
1: it's, it's a very hopeful story too. You know, it's like, and you know, I mean, when you work with people, it, isn't it rare that people don't fuck up over and over again? I mean, I I think my story is fairly common, you know, that I fucked up over and over and over again, and then something clicked eventually. Like, uh, it's very, I, I never hear about somebody who gets to run that long and then be done. Like, do you yeah. see that a lot or no?
3: No, I don't see that a lot. It is, it's, it's, it's somewhat, it's somewhat u- unique. I mean, it does happen. It, it You know, um, I think that I, there was so many times where I, where I was done in that process. I just, and I fucked up again, or I tried to like switch it up and figure it out without like a detox or AA or rehab. So like I had a lot of those experiences on my own, just trying to figure it out, which obviously didn't work, but for someone to kind of just like, you know, go to a, to go to a detox or, um, you know, not to go to a rehab and, then, you know, I did go to a sober house when I left the Cape. So I had that structure in place, which was helpful. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, and then, you know, most, most times there's a lot of treatments. There's a lot of sober houses. There's a lot of relapse with, you know, kind of some information or knowledge about, you know, a different way of life. Um, so yeah, I see it for sure, you know, but it's, it's not, it's not super common. It's more of the repeated fuck ups. Right.
1: Do you still, do you still do meetings?
3: Oh Yeah. Yeah. I got a bunch of sponsees, do meetings. Uh, yeah, that's a part of that's a part of 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 my day to day life that's super uh it's great. I mean I got away from it a, a little bit like I was talking about before when I was, you know corporate um, yeah corporate essentially (laughs) fucking suit that was a suit um and I the ironic thing is I went to that place to be a recovery counselor and and I you know they kind of offered me a position in administration as we were expanding and and I took it and I became further and further away from you know what I kind of went there to do and um during that process I was getting the you know I was making the most money I'd ever made I had bought the house I had a new truck I had like a lot of shiny toys and a lot of things and I was the most um Irritable restless and discontent I had been in sobriety and I'd been through a bunch of shit in sobriety. Um and you know, a lot of times people will drink in that situation and, and it was it was going hard in that direction. And luckily I have some people around me and I was able to kind of re engage in, in the program to kind of, you know, remind me of my primary purpose, which is to say sober and help all their alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Right. My primary purpose had become me for a while and that 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 wasn't helpful.
1: Right. You know, I, I think it's interesting because I don't know. I mean, right now, like my program is pretty, you know, engaged. You know what I mean? Like I go to three or four meetings a week. I actually have a sponsor. I actually call my sponsor. I try to infuse dopey with a little bit of program here and there. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm like engaged in a spiritual practice more than I ever have been before. Um, and I think that doing dopey is a big part of it. Like it, it, it reminds yeah. me to do it. Do you think that your work is helpful in maintaining the program for yourself?
3: My work in which, in which way?
1: Just working with addicts, working in treatment, working at a, a transitionary
3: for, um, house. For a job? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I definitely think it's helpful. I think it's. I think it's challenging, and I think a lot of people have this. Um, myself included have this kind of you know we get sober and we kind of start to see things differently we start to create awareness and some healing with ourselves we really want to give that back because a lot of us have been through the fucking gauntlet like we suffered and so you know we want to help people and it can be really challenging to differentiate between work and between my own personal recovery right Um, a lot of people struggle with that so it is very helpful but it has to be in addition to and not in replacement of my own personal recovery right it can get confusing i guess Yeah, it definitely And you can get You can get wrapped up You know, there's You're dealing with You know, a lot of people Who are early in sobriety And, you know, working with Working with certain You know, the the crazy brain Which we all fucking had And funny stories about that too Um, And so it's it's, You know, if if I'm not Doing the things I need to do To be able to show up Then I can easily get Sucked back into Some of that stuff
1: All right, two more things Yep First thing, because I can't Live without it You know our show Is like built on Fucked up stories Um, Yep like is, is there your Tell us your favorite fucked up story uh, My favorite fucked up story Meaning um, that you know like There's one you can just tell better than the other ones Or there are probably a few you can Pick one of those and lay it on us
3: Alright so I think Dylan told the Jacksonville story Over the time which is Which was a fucking great one so I'm not gonna Not gonna reiterate that one right now That was now. the
1: furniture moving one
3: yeah, where we went from the Cape to Florida yeah, to Jacksonville, yeah. Yeah. you know, with, with all the blue and auntie and black and wolfie and the whole nine. Like crazy, crazy, crazy deal, which is a great fucking story. Um, so I got one which kind of ties into a little bit of what we talked about today. And so this was, um, you know, I had a warrant. So I had a warrant for nine years from, from, yeah. Uh, Nineteen to twenty-eight until I got put back in jail. So I would have this identity. It was actually a kid I knew, and I had his name. I had his ID at one point years years before, but this is probably I'm probably twenty-six or so. So it's the deep into that warrant, and uh, so I would use his name. like. There was a couple times like I got PC'd or if cops if I was ever in a situation with cops around, I would use his name, for his birthday, social security numbers, driver license, like all oh, that's memorized. And so I was uh, at this point. I was you know doing a, like shooting. I was doing all that stuff. And I had, I had Dylan's uh, navigator. So Dylan was working for the movie company and he was like, he was a mess trying to figure his shit out. So me and my buddy had his truck and he was staying at his mom's, me and Dylan had an apartment in Dennisport at the time. And so we went on this, you know, two to three day crack run and um, we were kind of like coming towards the end of the crack run. Dylan needed to, he had a job in Harwich and he wanted me to go get him Oxycontin and bring them to his work. And so I had taken, like, he always had, like, this little dish in his room, which has, like, this fucking, you know, bunch of different, like, pills in it. So I'd taken all these pills because I was coming down from Coke, and I had, like, no, no heroin or pills on me at the time. And I think there was, like, Polonapid and, like, a sleeping med and Xanax. I don't even know. So I have no license. I have this white navigator, and I'm driving. So I drive to um, him to get the money, and then I have to drive from Harbourish to Orleans, which is two towns over. And this is, like, 10 a.m. in the morning. So for whatever reason, I went, I got the money and I went to McDonald's or Burger King or wherever. And I got some French toast sticks, you know, and a sandwich because, you know, that's what we need after a long run. Yes. And I'm driving down the highway and this is called Suicide Alley on the Cape. And it's got these little white, uh, these little yellow, um, you know, reflective things in the middle aisle that like if you hit, they bend and they'll flex. But they're supposed to warn you like you're not. You're. It's a one lane highway type deal. Um, and so I remember I'm driving to this kid's hotel and I, and I, I kept passing at the wheel, I kept passing out the wheel and I would like wake up to hitting these things in the middle of the fucking highway. And I would like kind of jam, you know, you know, turn the wheel back over again, get, get back on the right side. Um, at the hotel, I ended up passing out in his hotel parking lot during the day. And I get like a knock on the window and he's like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? I got like syrup on me. I got like half <laughs> in my lap. Yeah. And he's like, You can't be like nodding out in the middle of the parking lot. So he throws me the eighties, I give him the money, he's like, All right, get the fuck out of here. Okay. So drives <laughs> me back to film and now and I had taken these pills probably, like, you know, an hour or so before I left to go do this because we were completely out of coke. And I was just like, I'm going to take whatever I can to, like, not feel that. So these things are, like, really hit me at this point. And I am, like, literally all over the road, nodding out, waking up, <laughs> nodding out, waking up. Yeah. I somehow up that pill and I'm telling him the story of this. And he's like, dude, just go across the fucking street. I'll be done here in, you know, an hour or something and uh and i was like no 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 i'm pretty close to the apartment i was like i think i can make it i think i can make it he's like dude just, just go i'll meet you there after work i'll just go across the street i'm like okay okay just to like appease him give him the 80s i then blow an 80 and uh because i never need a zombie obviously and then so i then leave and i'm driving again and th- this this time i literally I literally cross the road and I wake up bumpy and I'm heading right at a fucking tree and I fucking, you know, jack the wheel and I go like split these two trees and like my heart, like, it, you know, it, it kicked up my, uh, adrenaline, you know? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, oh, like I literally just came close to totally the car, crashing and I'm like, all right, that gave me enough like adrenaline to then get home. So then I get back on this road, Queen Anne Road, and I'm kind of like, again, nodding off, swerving, whatever. I'm, I am drive back. I ended up getting back to the gas station right next to the apartment building where we lived. And I pull in, and I'm like, whew, you know, I fucking made it. And uh, this guy, like, fucking comes in, and he's, like, fucking flying behind me. Comes and comes in, and he, like, blocks me in. And he gets out of his car, and he's yelling at me. He's like, I have been fucking following you since Queen Anne. I called the cops, like, stay in the fuck right here. And apparently I swerved at one point, and I had taken his mirror, his side mirror out with my side mirror. So I was <laughs> oh, up to this dude to hit him. And he had been following me for, you know, five miles or maybe even four. And I, didn't, I had no idea. And so now I got the cops coming. I got a warrant. I've been up for fucking three days. I have no license. I'm driving Dylan's fucking truck. Zero idea about, like, you know, what, what's going to happen. So the cops show up. And they're talking to me and I'm like, you know, give him my name. I give him my, give him my alias, you know? And uh, they're like, all right, whose car is this? I was like, oh, it's my buddy Dylan's. You know, we work for a moving company. You know, I just left the job. I'm going home. I live right there. They're like, all right, long night for you. And I was like, yeah, kind of, you know, I'm just trying to get home. And uh, so they're like, give me the registration. Can't find the fucking registration. Dylan's fucking car is obviously a mess. We're both fucking alcoholic drug addicts. Only thing I can find is a business card of Dylan's. So I give that to the cop and I'm like, this is all I can find. Like, you know, give him a call, you know, he'll, he'll tell you. So now this guy's got to call Dylan. Dylan knows my like alias and shit, but you know, we, we had never been in this situation before and probably hadn't used it in a while. So the cop calls him and he's like, Hey, is this Dylan Woods? He's like, yep. He's like, uh, you know, we work for, you know, whatever moving company. He's like, yep. And, uh, he's like, all right, you know, we got, we got one of your employees here. He's, he's driving your truck. You know, we want to make sure that, you know, that's okay. And he was like, oh, yeah, Joe, 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 whatever, last name, you know? Um, he's like, yeah, yeah, he works for me, he lives for me, it's, you know, we, you know, we live right next door. He's like, I just sent him home from the job to, to get back there because we were just about done. And so the cop ended up just, like, giving me a little ticket, and then I had to, I was supposed to pay, like, this insurance thing for this guy's mirror, and the fucking cop actually ended up, let, like, ended up letting me go. Wow. Wow. Um, The fact that, like, Dylan had the the presence of mind to when he got a call from the police officer to use my alias, so then I didn't get, because I thought for sure I was going to jail. This is it, and I've been on the run for fucking eight years. It's, you know, I'm done now. Um, And so I ended up getting back to the apartment complex, getting in there, literally hit the floor of the living room, chase down and i woke up probably two hours later to one of my other buddies tyson who had scaled through and got through a window we were on the second floor of like a four apartment complex and he's like kicking me he's like get the fuck up and he throws an eight ball at me he's like you know here cook this let's go and then i was off and running again that's
1: insane that's an insane story what happened to the dude that chased you down he just got your insurance information and he was okay
3: yeah it's funny i was actually just kind of telling the story recently and i was like fuck I, I i gotta make amends i gotta figure you know i had to make amends for that it's like one of those things you kind of forget about like the church thing i didn't remember about until like years into my sobriety um but you know telling some stories and i was like shit i'm gonna have to make amends for that because obviously i never paid it i made amends to the kid that i used his alias for because i you know got in trouble a couple of times under his name i don't think it ever affected him directly but you know i made amends for that but you know the guy who's I was supposed to replace I don't know if that went on his insurance or the other guys or what happened with that but I didn't do anything with it
1: How did you make amends to the dude whose alias you took
3: Oh, that was in person. So he knew he, he was one of my buddies I grew up with. He knew that I would use his name before. So part of the nature of my meds for him was one was for blowing him off for work so many times. He had a landscape company and he was one of the people that would drive around for me and look for me on like a, you know, whatever morning because he was just starting his company and I had been out, you know, doing fucking coke all night. And he would show up to the house and i had more coke on me and i'd go hide in, like the closet and the people i'm with are like no he's not here you know ck's not here i don't know where he is <laughs> so like there was a bunch of times where i fucked him over and not showing up for work and so part of the nature of the events was that and also part of it was for um you know using his name in some situations and not being completely honest with him about that because i don't think i told him about all of the situations i used his name it's amazing But he did it before that it was a running joke that we had with the
1: for a while, That's crazy, my favorite part of the story is where is where the drug dealer is like you can't be nodding out in the parking lot with french toast sticks it's like there's nothing there's nothing better <laughs> than the drug dealer who tells you how to behave like that's the the most classic
3: yeah, I know He's selling drugs out of the hotel he's running it's great
1: yeah, I love that now, one cool. last thing um yep. you're you're obviously you know what ten eleven years in this thing how long are you how long are you clean and sober
3: yeah, ten to plus years right to so
1: do you have like would you say you have a spiritual practice
3: yeah absolutely honestly the so the one thing i would say, and this is you know uh you know what i what i kind of preach to my sponsees is the one thing i would say i've done consistently over the 10 years or the most consistently is prayer um it was something that was suggested to me early on by my sponsor um and obviously there was a whole weird relationship with God and, and and all that shit that a lot of us probably come up against. And it was more, he was just like, listen, it's more about just the act, get on your knees, act of surrender. It's tangible. It's re- ask for help in the morning and express gratitude for help staying away from a drink and drug and express thanks if you got through the day without a drink or a drug. Um, and so I started just at that core level very early on. It became a it became a practice of mine. And it's the one thing that I can pretty much say that throughout my entire sobriety has I've, I've, I've kept incorporated into my life it's tethered me to AA it's tethered me to my spirituality and really what it's done it's like prayer is nothing more than fucking setting it attention so many people get caught up with like the real the religious meaning behind prayer and like you know they they defy against it for that purpose but what we're doing is what i'm doing is i'm just repeating shit and either internally or externally which is helping rewire rewire my brain so that i think feel and act differently and if i'm doing that stuff, i'm creating new neural pathways that are helping me to see things differently and right. so prayer or it's been an attention, setting an attention of how I want to show up and the things I need help with. Um, but it's been like the one staple in my sobriety. I've done a whole bunch of other shit. Sweat lodges, did like a pilgrimage to Ireland with the Catholic church, which is fucking wild. Um, some other, you know, some other, a bunch of stuff.
1: I think that's interesting. Like when we try to figure out exactly like how prayer works, like, uh, and like rewiring your brain or like, and it, and it's funny that no matter what you think, prayer might be doing it does it all you know what i mean it does that it might be talking to somebody it might be you know what i mean like it's like it's a very magical crazy thing
3: it really is it it, it's you know it's really easily accessible uh but done like with any type of consistency over a period of time my experience has been like it's it's incredibly helpful to You know, because that internal voice I had, you know, that that internal self-dialogue I had for so long was just, it was super negative. It was, you know, I was constantly self-defeating. I was coming from a place of, like, tons of shame and tons of guilt and tons of fear and frustration. And so, like, that voice reflected that over and over to me in my head. Um, And I had to, like, learn how to change that. And the best way to change that was to combat it a little bit with a different voice, with different verbiage. Right. And
1: And just being able to actually out loud ask for help and then have faith that maybe... your 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 prayers will be heard or that your brain will rewire and like i I feel exactly the same way about it um all right this has been really fun for me man i've really i've really enjoyed you coming on the on the show was it was it everything you wanted to be and more
3: it was perfect it was awesome i was you know really really grateful to to be on here that you asked me so very appreciative uh fan of the show obviously love you know with the impact it's had on people still amazed by that to be perfectly honest and you know i i love i love drugs and dumb shit you know i obviously love the this you know the solution side of things too because i have a you know pretty you know good experience with that but it's important for me to talk about these stories to hear these stories to be able to laugh about it you know the shooting coke on acid in the tent is a good one some other ones shooting coke on acid oh dude it's the worst idea in the world yeah. dude, never do that never do that especially in a tent in the woods i was living in a tent at the time oh god tell, was tell so
1: the story i can't live with that tell me the story
3: uh so the story is it's well it's pretty much that but essentially <laughs> what <laughs> i mean it really doesn't like that's that's a story i was living in a tent i uh, just got out of jail just gotten off my ankle bracelet started dating that girl um and we were you know bouncing around you know obviously getting kicked out of everywhere we were so i ended up having a tent in the the backwoods of, of one of my buddies kind of houses and so we would go in the house I would, again middle man would get him drugs and do stuff um he didn't shoot he would just smoke it so we would smoke and smoke coke and do that type of stuff and i remember i had some and someone i got an acid somewhere acid and like hallucinogens always find their way in my story somehow like over the years like it transcends everything um and i do them at the most inappropriate times as i started to get deeper into my addiction like smoking crack and tripping on acid so i'm in this tent and i take this acid after smoking a bunch of coke and doing a bunch of pills i had run out of the pills but we had saved some coke and you know stashed it between my butt cheeks which is a classic move of mine i brought it to the tent and i'm in the tent tripping on acid i'm already seeing all sorts of weird shit and see i'm hearing all sorts of crazy stuff and i end up you know being like in my mind, like this might not be the best thing to do at this point. And I remember, you know, fuck it. YOLO. Let's go take it out. uh, get a shot of coke ready do the shot instantly start thinking that there's animals clawing at the sides of the tent trying to get in i'm in the with the girl she didn't do it only i did it because she wouldn't do it i don't even know if she was tripping to be honest she leaves and goes back in the house now i'm alone in the tent for the next bunch of hours i am like thinking that there's people in the woods i'm thinking there's animals outside the tent i'm in and out of the tent freaking out circling the house circling the tent and that was my experience with you know Seeing and hearing all sorts of random stuff Completely psychotic and Paranoid For the next fucking I don't even know However many hours it was until I woke up the next day And then I had this crazy fucking infection On my leg which I don't even know what it was Or what it came from I think it was like a spider bite But that was <laughs> <only> that. <laughs> That's funny man I love yeah, it was, that And then the next day I notes itself, Do not shoot coke while tripping on acid In the tent and that was the only time I did that Did you ever shoot acid no, I never shot acid I, don't, I did liquid acid in my eyeballs That was before I was shooting That was when I was younger
1: That was I like my shot. fantasy That I never got to do Is liquid acid in my eyes What was, was it in a Visine thing?
3: Exactly, yeah It was in a little Visine bottle Did a couple drops in the eyes And, you know, went at it um, It wasn't, it didn't I don't think it was super different From maybe it, it hit me quicker Than, you know, just a tab on the tongue But it was fun to try
1: yeah, that's what I all all I ever wanted was liquid acid in my eyes. But you did it. Yeah. So you're my I did it. You're my new hero. Thank you. Yeah. Uh thank you for the time, man. It's uh I'm I'm happy you came through. It's awesome. And it's also just a weird sort of connection to Chris, which I which I really appreciate. Yeah, me too. All right, man. So uh, let's stay in touch.
3: Absolutely, dude. Appreciate it. Thanks, thank you man. so much. Have a good one. Me too.
1: There's something about having this guy on the show which really reminds me of Chris. Um, did you did you did it at all reference Chris for
2: you? Yeah. Oh yeah. I, there was a lot of Chris in there, and uh, there was like listening to this, and we talked about this earlier. That like I was just like I'm done with drugs. Like I'm sick of hearing about drugs, and he, he was talking about spoons and needles and the feeling, the bad feeling, and I'm just like, ugh, like... like. You were just so interested in nitrous and Diet Cokes. That, I, yeah. <laughs> no, but just... I was just thinking of, like, I had all the feelings of, like, every bad feeling from doing whatever drugs I've done and, like, how bad I felt and how gross it is and the needles and the uh, spoons and all that shit. And it's just like... I don't... I, like, I don't even want to hear about it. I don't want to... I don't know. I don't want to think about it. I have no desire just to, like, use drugs... Like, If you could put a pile of cocaine in front of me and I'd be like, gross.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't want to do a pile of coke either, but I might not have wanted to do it even when I was using. But uh, I'm going to tell you a disgusting story now about needles and drugs. Oh, good. I was on Instagram the other day and somebody posted a picture of uh, like a Halloween mocktail. Yeah. And if there's a word I don't like, it's mocktail. It's so fucking annoying. It's
2: just, a, it's just juice. Whatever it is, it's fucking annoying. Right. right, but like, why is it a mocktail? It's just like juices mixed together with no alcohol.
1: It's to make alcoholics feel like they're having cocktails, which is, you know, that's what they want. So anyway, the picture is a Halloween mocktail, and I guess because it's Halloweeny, there's like, you know, kind of syringes
2: with blood. <laughs> oh, God. Okay? oh, Like full syringes of blood. Okay. I've seen a trend in in bakery baking where they use syringes. There'll be cupcakes with syringes sticking out and that's like the red glue the red uh icing filling. It's gross, like syringes and food.
1: Well, it's a thing or like they they you know test tube drinks or whatever, but yeah. so I see this picture of these syringes of blood and it reminded me of something that I don't think I ever talked about on the show. And it, was, it happened to me all the time when I would shoot heroin, which was when I would, uh, mostly in Los Angeles, like they didn't sell needles in the drugstore when I lived in Los Angeles. So I had, like, I actually had a little box full of needles, like, and I'm not clean, you know, nothing yeah. I have is clean. You can imagine this yeah, box. Yeah. It's just blood covered, old you needles. Didn't,
2: you didn't wash your needles Barely out? Barely wash the needles out. It no did, like caps. rinse them with alcohol? Nothing,
1: nothing. I wouldn't do anything. They were bent? Yeah, they were, it was, you can imagine, it was disgusting. So I would, one thing that would happen with me is that it would take me forever to find a vein, and eventually when I found a vein, it would register on the needle. But for some reason with these needles, because they were so dirty and so old, I would be able to draw in blood to the needle, but I couldn't push it back. Oh, that's the worst. So you keep, so what I would do is I would keep, pulling it in so the blood would fill up the needle with the dope and the water and I would try to push it back and it wouldn't go So I, and, and also like my, ne- my, my vein is so shitty that the needle has to be at this perfect angle yep. of looseness or I'm going to miss the vein and I'm pulling and the needle becomes all the way blood oh. because I can't push it back and I'm like so I have a fucking needle just blood and a little bit of dope and water or whatever, and I can't pull it any farther back. So I'd have to take it off, right? Take it off the vein, burn the edge, shoot a little bit off into my mouth, and that's how I'd fix it is with fire. Fire would cure it, oh and I would God. often have to just break the tip off
2: and drink the bloody dope. Oh, my God. What do you think about that? It's disgusting. I hear a lot of, like, crazy stories, and, I, like, I was just so meticulous with my needles. They were like... Perfect, and I would rinse them out like while I was high, like rinse them with alcohol. And if they were slightly bad, I would get a new one. And I I, I never had trouble with needles; they were my needles were always perfect. And then we would take them, and when they were done, we'd throw them at a dartboard. So I had a dartboard filled with used needles, and then my mom came to visit. I'm like, I got to get rid of that dartboard. (laughs) Wow. And
1: the interesting thing though, that was, you were not like a crazy junkie who was shooting dope all day, every day. No, So using a needle was probably like novel.
2: It was, you know, it was fun. It was fun. I I never, yeah, it, it was never like, I'm never in a toilet, like shooting up from toilet water or anything like that.
1: I never used toilet water either. I always made fun of Chris for, like, where he would get his water because there's water everywhere. There's faucets everywhere. Why can't you just ask for a cup of water? Yeah. What are you, using, are you the using the puddle? Mud puddle, What's yeah. wrong with
2: you? Yeah. I had a young friend who, like, occasionally does cocaine, you know, not an addict way, and he asked me, he read Anthony Kiedis' book, and he's like, why would you shoot cocaine when you, when you can snort it just as easily? I'm like... Because it's so much better, and it's like you can control that. Like It's like you're pushing a button, and I'm like, but don't do that. <laughs> yeah, whatever you do, don't do. It's really, really powerful and life-changing. But don't do it, and don't suck
1: down nitrous balloons either. So if you remember, a few weeks ago, we got a voicemail from this guy called Alexander K. Oh, yeah. And Alexander K. was the most recent recipient of the uh, Tootles for Chris Dopey sponsor, which... Our good friend and collaborator Justin Cambria made sure he got and Alexander K. went to the Ashley Addiction Treatment Center in some town called Have a Degrasse. It sounds like I ran out of weed. Do you have a degrasse? Have a
2: degrasse. No, um, I don't
1: <laughs> I don't have a degrasse. Anyway, Alexander got out of treatment and he sent in a voicemail, and I love the voicemail, so I want to play it for you guys
4: hey what's up dave what's up dopey nation this is alexander k with an update from the dopey scholarship uh rehab thing whatever you call it i um, mean you know, i got out on the 19th and today is 17 days off of subs and benzos and i'm feeling pretty good you know considering um Rehab was strange There was a lot of funny people there Cops and doctors And a Super Bowl football player um, There was only like one or two people That I could really talk music and stuff with And one of them got kicked out Because Well no he didn't get kicked out He left He he shaved his ass in his bathtub And his roommate was threatening to stab him over it um, Kind of little funny story um. So yeah, I pretty much just had like one friend for the first two weeks, but you know that's cool. I didn't go there to make friends. Um, it's funny how things worked out, though. You know, I was mad when I got there. I was mad for the first two weeks. Uh, I was. Mad um at myself I was mad that when I got there everyone's first three or four days were the worst and then the rest of the time for the most part would be getting better and I was in the opposite position you know like they tapered me off subs and benzos for two and a half weeks so I was pretty much just loaded in my eyes for the first half because I was still doing all the same stuff I went in there to get off of um, and the fact that I don't remember the whole first week I was there tells me that. But, uh, and then for like the last of my time, you know, I would just be dope sick. And my plan wasn't even to fully get off of subs, it was just to taper. So, which, I mean, it's just crazy. You know, I was in rehab for fucking up and working my own program, which wasn't working, obviously, or I wouldn't have even entertained the thought of going. And uh, I was in there telling them that I knew best, that I knew what was best for me. You know, I was still not taking suggestions. Um, It was just dumb, you know, dumb of me to do that. Um, I had an amazing counselor in there, though, um, who helped me more than she knows and I was lucky enough to use my phone a couple times to text my parents and stuff and I sent Dave a text just to like let him know what was going on and I don't really remember what I said but um what he said really stuck with me he said um he said give up you already lost and you know out of context that could sound pretty negative to someone, but to me it wasn't. Um, it was exactly what I needed to hear. And hearing that, and hearing my mom's voice in my head saying, "Think of how proud you'll be after you get through it." Um, that that's pretty much what what got me through it, and what it was like. That was like the turning point, I guess. Um, you no, know, so that was that. I was still catastrophizing it, saying to myself, "Man, this is really..." going to be bad. This is going to suck telling all the nurses that I I shouldn't get off it or it's going to be too big of a drop and they'd be like, "Oh, maybe it won't be that bad." But, you know, I'd be like, "Well, no, it's going to be." But uh but then it wasn't, you know. They they told me so. I'll say that now. Um you know, it wasn't comfortable, but it was completely doable. I went to every group activity. I was participating and sharing and I started praying again. And uh, I was physically pretty miserable, but mentally happy and proud of myself. And that was stronger than my physical unwellness, I'll say. Um, if I had any bad thoughts, you know, like wanting to leave or any bad thoughts, I would remind myself how lucky I was to be there. You know, I'd be hearing people talk about draining their and their family's bank accounts to go to this place, and here I was just in there Um, I was told I wasn't allowed to tell people how I got in there because it you know I don't know it could create some conflict but anyway um, you know I just realized it would have been the most selfish thing I ever could have had ever ever could have done to to leave or to give up Um, you know and I wanted to do it for me and I wanted to do it for my family and all the people that can't or couldn't be as lucky as me. Um, You know, maybe one day I'll be able to help someone like that, like you all have helped me. Um, So, yeah, I went from, like, hating being there, wanting to say no and buck the system, comparing out, thinking I was better than everyone, even though I hated myself and was suicidal, to becoming close friends with people that were the farthest opposite of me, you know, talking about sports and stuff and comparing in and just realizing you can really be friends with anyone and you know, I'm just I don't even know what I'm trying to say. It was just a, a really good experience and something changed in me when I was there and So, yeah, I just want to thank Dave and Justin and Ashley Recovery for helping me learn to humble myself and love myself and show me that I have some good in me and that I matter. Um, But I can only use that good to help people if I'm clean and and loving myself first. so, yeah, I guess that's that's really it. Um, I hope this was a decent enough email and update, and I just want to thank Dave and stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris.
1: Man, I love hearing from... Uh... Alexander K. I, I want to call him Jack because he reminds me so much of Junkie Jack Nicholson. <laughs> so the guy got kicked out for shaving his asshole.
2: Yeah. yeah, that was like, why the guy that shaved, it seems like the stabber should have been kicked out, not the guy who shaved his ass. Not, like, what was going on there? I assume
1: in rehab it's inappropriate to publicly shave your asshole in a shared bathroom.
2: Oh, I mean, you'd think that you you'd close, you'd the, close door. the door. Yeah, you do it privately. And why would you try to stab that person? You just could be like, dude, what are you doing? You don't stab them. Listen,
1: mental uh, rehab has never been the hot bed for mental health. Okay, you know, um, I love hearing from Alexander. That was a great voicemail. I'm so glad he's doing well. I'm so glad that uh, we've managed to get some people into treatment. I hear from a lot of the recipients of the Toodles for Chris scholarship. I heard from Josh Clark recently, who's doing well. um, How many people have gone? I don't know. Maybe 12. I don't think so. I think eight, but I can't think of them off the top of my head. Don, obviously, is in California. He's doing good. Charlotte's still in Connecticut. She's doing good. Alexander's doing good. This other woman died.
2: Oh, yeah. There's a
1: woman who died, which was terrible. Um, Josh is doing well, well enough. He lost his lady love but got her back, so he's doing well. And um, I'm sure I'm forgetting a bunch of people Help me out, Dopey Nation I, yeah. If you got a scholarship to treatment and I don't remember you Please write me an email at Dopeypodcast at gmail.com When I went to um, New Jersey yeah. It was a really interesting experience Because like Basically when I got to Katz's in the first place I got there you know, 12 years ago I had just gotten off of heroin My mother was dying I started working there and I was like, I don't want to work here. And um, <laughs> and there you and there you were. And I remember I was working with this Jamaican guy at night, and it was really busy. And th- and I go, holy shit, it's pretty busy. And the Jamaican guy said, he said, boy, you won't believe how busy it is come Christmas or whatever. Oh, yeah, and is... I said, I said, there's no way I'm going to be here at Christmas. <laughs> and that was twelve Christmases ago. And and like basically. I've had so many relapses at Katz's. So
2: when I met you, you had just started working at Katz's. Yeah, 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 Well, wow. I, I had worked there in high school. Oh, that's why I thought you'd been there longer. No, I had worked okay. there in high
1: school. And I worked there a little in college, but I didn't work there between college and 35. Okay. So when I go to Jersey, they're like, you're going to work in the freezer on the assembly line packing, you know, shipping po- boxes. Like Lucille Ball. So, yeah, or, or like, or like uh, Laverne and Shirley. Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like, I'm in there and they're blasting bachata music, yeah. and you, bachata music is this Dominican kind of romantic yeah. Dominican music, which I actually don't yeah, yeah. hate. Yeah. Um, and, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, no, hate and I'm. And I'm thinking. Escuchame, <laughs> quiero pedirle. Um And I'm thinking very much about what this experience would be like in early recovery, and I'd be like, oh fuck. What the fuck am I doing here? How did this happen to me? Yeah. And I'm kind of thinking that anyway. But at the same time, I was experiencing, like, and this sounds corny, but so much gratitude, like that I can come and go as I please, that I can learn something, that I can be grateful to have a gig. Yeah. You know what I mean?
2: A I was grateful gig. to
1: be out of the fucking house. You've got a sweet gig.
2: All right, just let's not go crazy with it. <laughs> I, was- I, I know somebody who was like very like big time in like show business, and everything crashed and wound up painting walls, like me. Was that you? It was not me. And but he was like, this was really good. I could see this wall is unpainted, and I paint it, and now it's painted. It was very satisfying, and I'm making money.
1: Well, it's like when you're, when you're using and you're not working and things are so unstable, you don't realize how satisfying something like accomplishing something is, Yeah, you know? And, um, I don't know. I'm very, very grateful for my situation. I'm grateful we could hook up Alexander. I'm grateful Alexander could see what he has going on. Do you do a gratitude list? No, right now. This is it. Okay. I'm grateful for you. (laughs) Um, and then there's a dude named Tommy Raynor, who's a longtime Dopey fan, who's been in and out, in and out, in and out, and he post he wrote me last week that he got four days back. So let's hope that Tommy is doing well.
2: Yep, pray um, for Tommy.
1: Pray for Tommy. And before we got up here, I um I was feeling nostalgic for Chris, and you know I, I've obviously we've recorded here a bunch of times in the past two years. Yep. I've recorded here a bunch of times. Uh, I go to the same supermarket that I used to go to when I was a child yeah. you know and it was a different supermarket then it was an AMP or something yeah. I remember cuz I was I lived in this neighborhood when you were a child Right and, and I went there with my mom, and I would love going to the supermarket. And it was a very Spanish and black neighborhood mm-hmm, then. Yep. And I loved it. And I, could, I had it memorized as a kid where everything was. And, and they've changed it so much. And I'm walking around there trying to remember this and that. But what came back to me was Chris. And me and Chris would go there before we would record to and... stock up. Yeah, to buy chocolate and buy cookies. <laughs> and we would stand... And Chris would buy the dumbest shit. He would, like, buy, like... He would go to the prepared food section and buy, like, a, like lasagna or something. Buy, <laughs> he would just buy the worst stuff. And uh, he would buy, like, hazelnut chocolate and, and stuff. But um, I definitely... Um, it's surreal, You know, I I don't know. Like the grief of him being gone is surreal. It's a surreal thing. As we move forward, as you know, I'm I'm working so hard on this DopeyCon too. That Ray did this brilliant song for.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm recording it. I'm going to make a video.
1: Amazing song, and um, I'm very excited. And also, this
2: week is Halloween. Oh, it is. Yes, but it's not happening. What do you mean? Well, it's not happening in New York. I don't think. What do you mean? It's Halloween. Trick or treating. The parade is canceled Well that's good I've, I hate that parade Because it goes right in front of my building And that parade fucks with my day I hate the Halloween parade I hate everybody that comes to it
1: I hate Halloween Oh yeah? I fucking hate Halloween I never liked it I, I mean I don't like Halloween um, Linda loves Halloween and Linda wants to turn our house into one of these suburban Halloween paradises oh, no. oh, with inflatable shit on the lawn. So you're going to have trick-or-treaters come to your house? Nobody ever comes to our house. Oh. I think they have some map, and it says Jews live here. <laughs> Don't trick-or-treat. Um, but so she wants to put up, and I'm like, no, we're not getting inflatables. We're not getting inflatables. And instead, she first she buys pumpkins and mums, which I like. Yeah. Like, and you don't have animals eating the pumpkins? No. I like the pumpkins and the mums. That's seasonal. My yeah. mother was very seasonal. Yeah. But then she like... Then she starts to get a scarecrows. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's seasonal too. And then she put a big black spider in our tree in the front. And I was like, uh-oh. I was like, okay, I can deal <laughs> with that. And then she started hanging ghosts from the tree in the front. And I was like, it reminds me of the Ku Klux Klan... All oh, white sheets. And also <laughs> Heads hanging from the tree I'm like I don't It's like When I grew up My mother told me That people killed Jews On Halloween That they came after Jews
2: On Halloween Some of the Halloween Decorations in the Yards Are so gruesome That like, they would be Frightening to kids Like they're really Out there Some of them But
1: do you think That's a stretch for me To be like Uptight at Linda for like It's like I hear Strange fruit in my
2: head When
1: she's hanging a, These ghosts In the tree That's a
2: weird I like That's yeah I think let Linda do Whatever she wants to do With Halloween But yeah, I, To make a connection She between, got so pissed at me When I was like Next year
1: No ghosts in the trees We're not doing this You, you know say
2: let it go That KKK uniform Was created by Hollywood like, The original KKK Didn't dress like that And they made Birth of a Nation And some costume designer In Hollywood Came up with the white sheets And the pointed hats And then the KKK like, They're like we like this They didn't exist And then a new KKK Was formed And they're like Oh that's what they wear So that's when They started wearing that So you say let her do it. Next year... It's ghosts. is not KKK. Okay. Let her do whatever she wants. Like, it doesn't affect you. All right.
1: So next... But you think I should get like, inflatables on the lawn? Yes. No way.
2: That's <laughs> Ra- where I draw the line. Rainbow, we were going to get inflatables and just have them like pop up during the show. We never did it. Well, that's different. They're expensive. That's what made us not do it. We buy... We I mean- used to have ghosts on stage, though. We had three ghosts on stage. So there were people with sheets. People with sheets. And then one day, I put the sheet over myself. And I'm like... I had to take it off after like... You were too hot. It's so hot. I don't know how they did it. So you don't have any exciting Halloween plans then? I have no Halloween plans. I I don't leave the house because if I leave my apartment on Halloween, I can't get back in. The police won't let me onto my block.
1: You're not afraid somebody might mistake you for a Jew and kill you because it's All Hallows' Eve?
2: Oh, is that true? Is that what that is? No, it's definitely not true.
1: It's definitely something my mother... My mother just hated Halloween. They my tried, father
2: hates it, too. They tried to get me into the Mitzvah Tank recently. Oh, I love the Mitzvah
1: Tank. <laughs> Wait, have you been in it? Oh, can, I used to live in the Mitzvah Tank. <laughs> um, did you... Um, you heard the story where I got into that huge fight with Linda about her wanting me to dress as, like, peanut butter and jelly with her.
2: I heard the fight when you, she wanted you to dress as the Tiger King. Oh, uh, Yeah. Fucking Which is no. like, everyone's dressing as Tiger King. Don't do that. Well, the, the, the bottom line is that... Wait, what, peanut butter and jelly? Like, she'd be
1: jelly and I'd be peanut butter oh or something? Oh, my God. It reminds me of all the fucking people in Disney. Like It's like my love with an arrow pointing. It's like, yeah. it's really some schmaltzy stuff. No, you can say to her, do whatever you want with Halloween. Just don't involve me in it. No, but I mean, we got into this major fight about it. And then I went to my meeting And the hippie who wears the Trump hat says, if you're the horse's ass, it means you're in love. (laughs) Meaning like do whatever whatever. the fuck she
2: wants. Peanut butter and jelly. No,
1: I'm going to be some kind of wizard. You were a wizard last year. Yeah, I'm going to be a wizard every year. But uh, what I wanted to be was somebody who got locked out of the house in his bathrobe. (laughs) That was what I wanted to be for Halloween. So I ordered a bathrobe. So Linda was going to buy me a wizard's robe. But I have uh, I ordered the bathrobe, so I'm going to wear the bathrobe as the wizard. <laughs> that's going to be my Halloween. Bathrobe wizard. Yeah, that's my thing. We're going to some fucking party. Aye, aye, aye. Oh A super spreader party? It's another super spreader suburban party. There's more about our Halloween, and there's more about William on the, uh, this week's Patreon episode if you want to go there. Ray, as always, it was a delight to have you over at my father's apartment. It's always fun to come over here. Thank you for coming. And uh, what do we say at the end, Ray? Toodles for Chris. Fucking
2: toodles for Chris. What else do we say, Ray? Stay strong, Dopey Nation. That's right. Stay
1: strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris.